Um, this has been a cool weekend for our church family. Uh, we had on Friday night, the women got together for an event, and, um, and it was amazing. Like, the, so many women, so many connections, so many, like, furthered relationships, and it just speaks to relationships that have been going on. So cool. And, um, and then yesterday with the guys um, out there uh, for our men's game day, acting like a bunch of younger versions of ourselves. And uh, I woke up this morning with a side ache. Like, I didn't know that was possible. And I could see like a few of you guys worshiping a little bit like this, you know, kind of just, it's, uh, I'm loaded with Advil now. It's going to kick in about halfway through this thing and it's going to be amazing. So, but just, man, I love it. It's just the relationships, right? It's the connections. And that's, to me, that's what I love is it's just seeing um, these relationships form because this is so much of what the whole thing is about is, man, we love each other. We care about each other. We, um, we, we know that that's what church is about. And it's the biggest thing that we've been missing for so long. And so to get in there and start rebuilding and doing that work of, um, you know, the, the, hey, I haven't met you yet. Nice to meet you. And to see where God goes with it from there and the, the connection and the ongoing relationship, it's just beautiful. And so what we're doing, uh, we're continuing on in our series called Build. And, um, and with this, like we're, we're just doing these different rhythms. And so we've gone through, we've talked about prayer. We've talked about scripture. We've talked about community. This morning, we start talking about blessing. And these are not the only things that God calls us to do, but these are some very foundational things that God calls us to do as he created his church. What does he want for us? And so as we've been going through, we have these challenges, um, challenging everybody, hey, let's pray for five minutes a day. Let's just take that time, literally set a timer and just have that as a regular rhythm. Let's get back into scripture and read a chapter of scripture every day and just, uh, and just get in there th reading through the New Testament. So if you're following along, we read Acts 2 this morning. If you want to jump in, read Acts 3 tomorrow and you can roll with us there. But it's just getting these habits back into place. And in community, the challenge has been, let's just find once a week some way that we're connecting with someone else. As we all kind of thaw out and, and look back towards, okay, we need to reinvest in these relationships. Once a week, what does it look like to just touch base and spend some time with somebody? Finally, now, as we're starting this last section of it, um, we're talking about blessing. And the idea here, the challenge for this section is once a week, just find a way to be a blessing to someone. So if that looks like, honestly, just praying for somebody, that's phenomenal. If it looks like, um, you know, just giving somebody a bottle of wine or something, just a, a way to be a blessing and offer a gift, um, um, have somebody over, that kind of a thing, looking outside of our church family and saying, this matters. Because I'm, I'm telling you that Everything that we've talked about so far has been really good and really important. But if we go with the prayer and if we go with the scripture and we go with the community, we'll have something really beautiful, something that would be really exciting to be a part of. But we could still do that and be falling really short of what God wants for his church. It's literally his design for the church that we would be all of those things, but not for the sake of being that group, but for the sake of something greater. All of that is building a foundation of a thing that now as we look towards blessing, I think is meant to bless the community, bless the people that are around us. It's never been about, let's make it really a great place for us all to be. It's always been about, let's be a family so that we can pursue the mission that God's given us together. And so to kick off that time, what I want to do is actually go through um, Luke chapter 10. We're going to be verses like 25 to 38. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a really, like one of the most beautiful stories Jesus told, one of the most challenging. And, um, and I think it just really exposes what is the heart of God? What does he want for us as his people? And so I want to start, I want to start here on um, the first few verses. 
This is the, the kind of setting in which Jesus tells his uh, parable. So verse 25, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. All right, great little conversation that Jesus is having with this guy, right? And so they, they, this lawyer comes, and, and you got to understand, in the, a lawyer in that context, we think of a lawyer now as someone that, like, interprets the Constitution or interprets contracts or represents a client. A lawyer back then would have been someone who was a law expert. And the law back then, in this Jewish setting, would have been um, the Old Testament law, the law of Moses. And so a lawyer, a legal expert, is someone that is actually an expert in God's law. It's a Bible expert. It's a Bible scholar is basically what it is. And so this man is coming to Jesus, and they have this great little conversation about, like, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Great question. But we know, we know this guy's motives are off, right? Because he's coming to Jesus, and he's asking this because he's, he's trying to test Jesus, right? There's an angle. There's something he's coming with. And so this Bible expert is coming to Jesus, trying to prove a point, trying to, like, get a little thing in and so Jesus being very smart, Jesus being Jesus says, okay, well, yeah, great question. How would you answer it? What, is, what does the law say? What does the Bible say about how to inherit eternal life? And the, and the guy answers, great. The lawyer said, well, he, you know, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, yep, that's it. That's the whole thing. Do it and you'll live, right? So we could stop there and we could just look at that and say, okay, that's, that's the whole thing. Love God and love your neighbor. That's the whole thing. If you do that, I think Jesus is saying that. If you do that, that's it. That's all God's ever wanted from you. That's all God's ever called us to is as simple as that. Love God and love your neighbor. And so it's, I, I think it's so vital for us to remember as we're talking about those kinds of things, this is, this is old. Like this is nothing revolutionary. Jesus was revolutionary, but this teaching was not. This teaching is Deuteronomy. This teaching is as old as the Jewish religion itself. This has always been God's heart. I think, I think Jesus is saying, yeah, that's always what God has wanted, is for you to love God and to love other people. But the problem is that human beings come into it, Bible experts come into it, Bible scholars, and we come in and we make the whole thing way more complicated, way more complex. We make it really distorted, we make it really different, and it becomes a whole other kind of thing. And so Jesus has to come to the Bible experts. Jesus has to come to the people that are really good at interpreting scripture, and he has to say, hey, you are misusing, you're misconstruing, you're forming yourselves in a way that is totally different than what I intended. The irony, of course, is that they're using scripture, they're using the Bible to do some other thing, and he's calling them back to say, no, 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 let's get back to the heart of this thing. You've complicated it. Let me help you to simplify the whole thing. And so the lawyer comes to test, and Jesus comes to call them back to, no, it is about love for God and love for the people. So how is he trying to distort it? I think what, what he's trying to do is he's asking God, okay, but what does it mean for me to love my neighbor? We, we've talked about before how, you know, sometimes we look at our culture, and, and our culture will talk about love, and we'll say, you know what, that's unfair. They're using the word love, right? You look at our culture, they use the word love, but they don't have any idea what it means. They kind of take love, and they make it mean whatever they want it to mean, right? So you watch a TV show, and, you know, you see people saying, I love you, and we're like, yeah, that's not love, right? Like, God's kind of love is a different kind of love. They don't get to define what love is and what, lo what love looks like. 
And I think that's true. That's right. The culture does misuse the word love and everything else. But this parable, this section is a really good reminder that it's not just our culture that misuses the term love. Here we have religious people, Bible experts, taking the word love and twisting it into something that God didn't intend for it to be. It happens on both sides. God is our standard for love, but here we have the, the keepers of the law, the keepers of the Bible. They're, they're keeping God's word, and they're using it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, but, but like these using it to say, love the people that are just like me. Like that's, that's the implication that we're going to see as we go through. What, he, what the lawyer is wanting to see, what this Bible expert is wanting to say is like, yes, God said, love your neighbor as yourself, but who is my neighbor really? Like who am I really supposed to love here? And what he's trying to get to is, yes, God calls us to love him, of course, and God calls us to love the people that we love, right? The people that are like us, the people that are similar to us, the people that believe the same way. And so he's trying to twist God's concept of love, and Jesus comes in with a simple story, a powerful story, to untwist the use of, word, of love in saying, no, when I said love your neighbor, I meant love your neighbor. So how does he do that? Um, here's, how he, here's how he tells the story. The, the law, so love is set up, right? Then the lawyer coming, desiring to justify himself. So he's basically just like, hey, I want to prove my point. I want to prove that I'm right here. Comes to Jesus and he says, yeah, but who is my neighbor, right? Trying to get around this whole thing. Jesus replies, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So here is the story. What does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself? And Jesus tells this story to illustrate, okay? So, so picture the man, Jewish man. He's traveling. He's got business. He's going through these, these roads, and it's kind of remote, and it's kind of, um, you know, like a, a valley or something. And so it's, it's kind of like it's not a great place to be. Gets attacked. Everything's stolen. He's stripped naked, left there for dead. But thankfully, right, thankfully, here's the priest, okay? The priest is the one that, that represents God to the people. Like, this is what God wants. This is God's heart for you. And so he's interceding, like, explaining God's law and all this kind of stuff. He's also interceding on behalf of the people, coming to God and, like, and praying for these people. Lord, um, please be with them. Please bless them. And so the priest is the one that has the heart to kind of be that go-between between God and the people. And so thankfully, a priest comes as this poor man is lying there without any hope of surviving. But then what happens? You watch, you continue listening to the story, and nope, he passes on by. And then a Levite, he also is, is working in the temple, a little bit different than the priest, but he's also a temple worker, and he comes, and okay, good, he's going to be the one. Nope, he passes on by. And so you have these two religious people, and you think, is a fellow Jewish person? He's going to help them, of course. 
And you, and you, you have to give them like a little bit of grace, maybe, right? Because, okay, they're, they're priests, they're Levites, they're working in the temple. They have important jobs to do, right? And they have to stay forward. They have to stay ritually clean. They can't like touch, like if, if this guy happens to be dead or if he's dying, they touch him, they help him, like they're going to be coming clean. So when they get to the temple, they're not going to be able to do their temple type of stuff. I feel like this is like a little bit like, um, you know, hey, if one of you is like, sick, hurt in the hospital, I'd love to come visit you. But if you called me like right now, you know, if someone called me right now, like I'm not going to take the call. I'm like, okay, guys, see, I got to go to the hospital, right? The, the guys are on their way. They've got something busy. They've got to do this stuff. And it's, it's good. It's important. It's religious work that they have to do. But I say that, and we're reading this parable, and we know these two guys blew it, right? They totally blew it. They left the guy on the side of the road to die because they had their religious work. So I think the assumption that they're making is the spiritual work, the religious stuff that I'm called to do happens in this certain place, right? And for them, it's, it's in the temple. It's, it's wherever they're sent to go do their thing. I'm going to do my spiritual work when I get there. But we know as, we pa- as they pass by, the spiritual work was laying there on the side of the road, right? Here's the man. Here's, like, if you're going to, on behalf of God, minister and bless to human beings, this is the time to do it when the man is lying here on the side of the road. It's not going to happen wherever you go. Now, of course, they, they, they could have defiled themselves. They could have become unclean. There's all, but that's okay. Like, this is where religion happens. This is where true spirituality happens. And so the call is for them to have seen that, that, man, real spirituality happens on the road. It happens as you're going. It happens, they, they bypass, they missed their opportunity to see it. They didn't make any plans to, to neglect the guy, right? They had plans to do their religious work, and that's why they were traveling. But you can't schedule out, like, I'm going to encounter a guy on the side of the road, and I'm going to help him, whatever, right? It comes, and they had a moment of decision, right? I'm gonna, either going to help this guy, or I'm not. And they made the wrong choice, right? They carried on. They continued on. So this is how this works. Now, the Samaritan comes in, and the Samaritan is amazing, right? He comes, and he helps him, and he puts him on his animal, and he pays for all of his stuff and everything. But this is really a messed up hero for Jesus to have used, so for, for, for Jesus, for his audience, for this, um, this you know, legal expert, this lawyer, um, man, as Jewish people, Samaritans were like the enemies, okay? And there's a lot of reasons for that, kind of going back into the Old Testament, but they like were kind of Israelites, but kind of not. And, and in the whole like roller coaster history of Israel, they ended up intermarrying with some other like foreigners and stuff like that. And a lot of idolatry got mixed in. And it just became this like mutual thing where there's all this hatred. And we see it in, um, in John 4 as, um, as there's the woman at the well and, uh, and Jesus is interacting with her. She's a Samaritan woman, and it's like, oh man, like really off limits that Jesus is talking to this woman from Samaria. And part of the thing that comes up in that discussion is um, it's all about the place that they worship. So for the, um, for the uh, Samaritans, they, they're, like, they're like in the promised land. Joshua had um, like ratified the covenant of God, gone through this covenant of God with his people in Samaria, on Mount Gerizim, in Samaria. And so the Samaritans are like, no, this is the place to worship on this mountain because this is where God did important things. Meanwhile, the Jewish people are over here and they're saying, no, Jerusalem is where we worship God. And so we see in John 4 this, this tension between the two groups. And you can just imagine, right, the, the discussion of like, you know, the controversy and, and everybody who's in seminary learned to be pastors, they learn about like, okay, well, here's the Jerusalem arguments and here's the Mount Gerizim arguments. But yeah, we really don't see eye to eye on this. And you can imagine them like 
focusing on where does the worship happen. Meanwhile, here's this story, and the priest and the Levite going, Levi going off to the right locations to worship God, meanwhile missing the fact that worship happens on the side of the road. Worship happens when you see that person who's in need, that person who needs to be blessed and helped and cared for. And so in their theological debates over getting the location and the practices just right, and they pass by where the true, deep, actual need is, where the true worship could have happened. So Jesus presents his hero in this story, the Samaritan, is a Samaritan. The, the, the hero is, is someone that these, this Jewish audience would have considered their enemies. And he tells the story, it's interesting, he tells the story not of a Jewish person who finds a Samaritan hurt. He's talking to a Jewish audience. He does, t- doesn't tell it from the standpoint of, hey, when you're going along and you see some poor creature that's hurt, you Jewish person, um, just condescend to helping that poor person and maybe they'll come to their senses. Jesus actually tells it from the standpoint of the person in the ditch, which I think is interesting. He's telling it the Jewish person is the one who's in the ditch, and so it's all about who is going to stop and help me. Who, who's my neighbor? He's saying it's not the guy that's, that's just like you, that's a leader of your people, that's a religious leader. It's not the pastor who's not going to help you out. It's the person that you might consider your enemy, but he's going to stop, and he's going to reach down into that ditch, and he's going to help you. That is the person who is your neighbor. See, I, I, like, you read the story like this and you kind of put yourself in someone's shoes. I tend to equate myself more with the Samaritan, and it probably just stems from a high view I have of myself. Like, of course, I'm the one that would help them, right? But I think Jesus means for us to see it from the ditch, to see it as the man who's hurt, and to see it as, who's my neighbor? I mean, it's, it's that person that should have been my enemy, but he came and he helped me. And it's a more humble position to be in. And what does the help look like? The help looks like not... The Samaritan coming to them and, and saying, hey, did you know that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Now, that's a great thing to tell somebody, right? But the help that he offers, that what Jesus is, is exalting as this good thing that showed the love of his neighbor, it was not, he, he doesn't talk religion with him at all. He doesn't try to convince him of anything. What he's doing is he's meeting an actual physical, real need. I think by telling the story like this, Jesus is showing us that blessing, tangible blessing, tangible helping somebody in the midst of their need has value. Like this, this is what it means to love your neighbor. Um, certainly, like trying to help people see who Jesus is, that certainly is helping your neighbor. But he's saying beyond that, it is, it is just simply getting down where somebody's hurting, being a blessing to them, being willing to invest yourself in somebody and I think Jesus is having to say this because I think, man, the, Jew, the Jewish people at that time, they were God's people. He had invested so much in them, and yet they were missing it completely. And you can see, like, I can sense Jesus' frustration of like, really, you're going to quote the Bible to me. Like, you're going to quote the Bible to me and say, this is why I have no responsibility to love these people outside of here. Jesus is saying, no, it's always been there, and you've just been misusing it this whole time. I picture, um, so Laura's uh, mom, my mother-in-law, she, we get together for dinners, and Laura has a brother that is an amazing guy. He's a pastor. I love him. He's like um, one of my heroes for sure. Every now and then we're at, when they're at their house, um, he'll do something like slightly uncouth at the dinner table, you know? Little belch, like just, you know, one of those things. Like he's got some acid reflux stuff. It's not his fault at all. But um, when that happens, um, Laura's mom is like, um, she'll say like, 
Matthew, she says, that reflects poorly on your mother, you know? So his, his bad manners, you know, like somehow means that she didn't do her job or something, you know? And I just, I just picture Jesus saying like, man, you guys, like you're, you're branded as God's people, right? Like you Jewish nation or, or just picture us, you as the church, you're branded as my people, right? You carry my name and here's how you're carrying yourself. Here's how you're conducting yourself. And I picture God saying like, I didn't, I didn't raise you like that. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't call you. I didn't save you. I didn't raise you up to be the kind of people that just look after each other and that leave people stranded by the side of the road. And this is, of course, just a story, right? But the history of it, the history of Israel is, man, they did. They, they, they got inward and they stopped looking outward and they took all of God's blessings that they could get, but they weren't spreading those blessings to the people around them. And I think when I look at the church now, I think, you know what, there is a stereotype that says that Christians are judgmental, they're exclusive, they like each other, but they're angry at everybody else. And I think that's a stereotype, but I think in a lot of ways we've earned that stereotype. Now, like, I don't think we're particularly like that. I think that this family, I love us, and I think there's so many good churches in this world, but I think the world looks at Christians and thinks, they're not known for love. They're not known for unity. They, they fight and they exclude and they're mean and they're opinionated. And I think by and large over the years, that, that reputation is there for a reason. That's what I think. And I imagine Jesus telling this parable of the good Samaritan to us. And I would love to say, yeah, Jesus, we love that story. We're the Samaritan. We're really good at that story, right? But I don't think we should say that. I don't think we can claim that. I think the call is for us to say, okay, yes, yes, Jesus, please remind us what love is. Yes, remind us what does it mean to love you and remind us what does it mean for me to love my neighbor as myself because there are a whole lot of people in lying in ditches right now. There are. There just are and there always have been. And some of them it's obvious and others you can't tell until you dig a little bit deeper beneath the surface. But I just see here Jesus calling us back and saying, hey, it's been there the whole time. It's been sitting there in the law the whole time. You guys have been using my Bible, and I'm glad that you have because I wrote it for you, but you've been twisting it. You've been missing it, and let me help dust it off a little bit here. Let me untwist it and straighten it out and help you see this has always been my heart. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself, and your neighbor often looks like that person that you think of as your enemy. Your neighbor often looks like that person that you're not willing to interact with. It's the person that frustrates you the most. It's the people that you've been the most angry at this year. It's that person in your family that you hate getting together with. That person is your neighbor. That's the one that I'm calling you to love. And so what's the point? Here's how he ends it here. He wraps it up by telling the story, and then he asks the, um, the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And the lawyer says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The call is to be like the Samaritan. Be the per who, who is the neighbor? He says, it's the guy that shows, yes, do that. This is what Jesus is calling us to do. It's a simple point. It has never been missing, but it's people in religious systems that use God's word to distort and to exclude and to be mean and to... Um, just miss the whole heart of the whole thing. You know, James says, just speaking of simple points, James says, what is pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father? It's, it's definitely to keep ourselves unstained from the world, he says, but it's also things like visiting orphans and widows and their affliction. 
There's this, there's this heart in the whole thing that runs through the whole Bible that somehow we miss, and somehow for so much of my life I've missed, where God is constantly calling his people, love, care for those who are oppressed, right? Reach out to the marginalized, be people of blessing, be people of love, be people of grace. And so often we become people of doctrine. We become like the lawyer, like the legal expert, and we somehow find a way, even in our passion and love for God's word, to miss the actual heart of the whole thing, which is calling us to see our our neighbor and to do whatever it takes to love that person. Soren Kierkegaard talks about, he asks the question, like, what, who is my neighbor? He's asking, he's talking about this parable, and he's asked the same question, who is my neighbor? And his answer is, the best answer I can come up with is, the neighbor is the next person you encounter. And I think that's a pretty good definition of it. The neighbor is the next person that you encounter. And so as you, like, leave here, who are you going to bump into on your way out? That's your neighbor. As you drive here and you go to lunch, who are you going to encounter? The waiter, the other people? That's your neighbor. As you're in your neighborhood, that's your neighbor. Okay, that one was easy. But we often don't act like that's the neighbor, right? That's not often the person that we love the most or spend the most time investing in and caring for. And so it's always the next person you meet. And Kierkegaard talks about how, you know, sometimes we get kind of caught in, um, okay, I've got to think about this. I've got to strategize. Okay, I'm going to leave my room. And when I do, how am I going to find the neighbor? How do I know I'm not going to talk to the wrong person or love or bless the wrong person? I need to find the neighbor. And he says, if you just take it as the next person I meet, that's the neighbor. And if you talk to that person, whoever you're with, you talk to them, you love them, you do what you can to care for them. He says, you'll, you will never be wrong because you will never talk to somebody that is not your neighbor, that you're called to love. That Jesus said. So who is is it? It's everybody. It's everybody that you encounter. But sometimes when we say it's everybody, we think, okay, how am I supposed to love everybody? That's impossible. True. But you can love every person that you're with at the time, and you can invest there. And I think this is what Jesus is calling us to, is get back to this simple, simple heart of the whole thing that God lays out for us, that God sets up for us. I think he's calling us back to this very simple truth that we have complicated which is that all of what God's heart is, all God's ever been calling us to is love God and love the people around us. And of course, there's so much in that. There's so much to unpack. That's why we keep doing this week after week. We want to unpack it together. But the reminder is that's what it's about. It's about love. It's about love for God. It's about love for the people that are around us. And it's the people, <laughs> it's we who, it's we who love God. It's we who um, hold his word that are often the ones that complicated it. I, I, this week I'm struck by the fact that there's two monstrous people in this story. And I, I was kind of, you know, I can relate to these priests. They've got their religious duties. But they're pretty monstrous in this story, aren't they? Like, you see a guy lying dead and you just leave him because you've got other things to do? Are you kidding me? Like, are you even a human being if you're going to do that? And who are these two people in the story that, that are the monster? They're basically pastors. And man, that is, that is, that's huge. And I think Jesus is so insightful. Yes, it's so easy for us to get caught up in church life, to get caught up in Christian life, to get caught up in our, just ourselves and miss the fact that people are hurting. And so the call is back to the simple things. And so what are the simple things? I think the simple points here, the next, every person we meet, that's our neighbor. We care for them. We love them. I think, I think we see in here that meeting people's needs is religion. Like, this is what we're called to. That's what James says. Blessing people is the value of this. Um, I think the call is to love God and to love people. I think that in here we see the reality that, like, God's grace comes to us from unexpected places. And so there's a call back to something that's just so pure. And so I think, you know, again, if we, if we got ourselves into the spot where we were prayer warriors, Bible scholars— 
community like nobody has ever seen, right? If we did all that and we're missing this piece where we step outside of our bubbles and we reach out to the people around us and we begin to share God's love in that, if we did all that but miss this, I, th- I think God would come to us and just be like, what, what are you doing? Like, what, what is this? Like, I think, I think we would be unrecognizable to God as a church because this is so much of his heart is love your neighbor as yourself. And yes, in this story, the reminder is, and your neighbor is not just the people who are exactly like you. Love your neighbor as yourself. And keep in mind that your neighbor is not just the people that you like. It's not just the people that sit next to you on Sunday mornings. It includes certainly the people in other churches all around us that we're to love and to to recognize. These are our family too. But it goes even beyond that. And it's saying, anybody that you encounter, this is where the love flows. This is what it looks like. And so the reminder, the call for us is, man, it's been a hard year. It's been a weird year. It's been an isolating year. And as we thaw out and as we start building our lives back together again, Reminding ourselves that, man, we need to, I think we need to invest here. Like, I think, like, this weekend was beautiful for our church because we got to invest here a lot. And I saw a lot of connections that I think are going to bear fruit in the year ahead. I think that's a beautiful thing, and we need to keep doing that. But we also need to invest out there, too. We spend so much of our time not around church family. And that's a good thing in a lot of ways, right? I think that's God's design and plan, to love people. There's no one that I... um, like, I think, I'm, I think I'm right about religious stuff. I joke sometimes about being right about my politics and stuff, but, like, honestly, like, I'm smart, but I, I don't put that much, uh, like, stock in my, my political views, okay? But my religious views, like, when it comes to my understanding of the gospel, my belief, like, my encounter, I, I know who Jesus is. I've seen what he's done for me. Like, he's healed me. The gospel, I believe, to the core, and there is no convincing me that that's wrong in any way whatsoever. And so I step into every encounter and every situation knowing that I am so right about who Jesus is because I've seen it, I've experienced it, and so I know. So there's no one I talk to that has differing beliefs than me that I don't think I'm right and you should believe the way that I believe. I want them to because I want them to encounter Jesus in the same way that I have. I want them to find in Jesus everything that I've found in Jesus. That's really what I want. But I think this is a good reminder that it's not about me going around living my life in such a way that I have to convince everybody of that all the time. I want to be a witness to that. I want to be a faithful presence to that. I want to take every opportunity I can to help people see what I found in Jesus. But I think this is a reminder. What's the job? What does it mean to love the neighbor? It doesn't mean start debates. It doesn't mean convince them of everything. It doesn't mean that the value of the relationship is like a multi-level marketing thing where you're nice to somebody until you get them in the group kind of a thing. No, I think what he's calling us to is, hey, be a blessing to people. Love people. Care for them. And in doing that, you're doing the work of loving God and loving people. We're going to talk more about this in future weeks, too. Um, I think it's a good and important reminder for us. Um, I, want to, I want to close this w- with, um, with just this. I, I had the privilege of going down a couple weeks ago with some of our church family that does, um, like, our trackside ministry. So they, basically, it's, it's the members of our church that found a homeless camp nearby, and they um, literally, like, are just living there along the side of the train tracks. And so some of our um, church family has been going there week after week, and they're just, like, being a blessing, like bringing food, bringing clothes, whatever else. They're putting on like a church service in the little camp there. It's a beautiful thing. And so they've called it not Creekside, but Trackside. I love it. And a couple weeks ago, I got to go down with them. Some of that crew was serving downtown and we went to a couple different homeless camps and it's like, it's rough, man. It's rough. It's just people like literally living on the side of the road in a downtown urban setting. It's rough. And all we were doing is we were just um, there and giving them uh, food 
offering them clothes. Like, hey, do you need shoes? We've got shoes. Like, and it was just going and talking to people, treating them like they're human beings because they are. Um, and it's just finding simple ways to bless them. We'd like to meet your needs. And hey, if we can pray for you at all, we'll pray for you. And it was just so beautiful for me to see the people that are there serving, the people, uh, they've got Pastor Bert, man, it's this guy is just like full of the Spirit of God and full of compassion. And so he's just loving in this beautiful way. Our Creekside family that's there serving, loving like that, it's just a beautiful thing to see. You know, but, but it's, like, it's like the Samaritan helping the man in the ditch. It's like, sometimes I think we see ourselves as, it's easy for me to see myself as like the savior of these people. Oh, I've got everything together. My life's pretty good right now. I will go help them and serve them. But what we find when we go, we find there's so much spiritual power there. And there's so much blessing that flows in both directions. And I think that's part of what loving the neighbor means, right? Is you love somebody and you find out, okay, they're not just a needy person. They're not just a project for me. But they're a person that's loved, like that's made in the image of God, that's beautiful, that has so much to offer me. And honestly, even just in that one little day, I got to see huge glimpses of that as I saw God just working in people's lives. And man, there's so much need there. There's so much that God needs to do to, to work in all that. Um, but it's just a reminder, man, that's, that's where religious life is. It's, it's here too. All these needs are here too. I'm not trying to diminish that at all. But grace comes to us in unexpected places. And so much of it is just getting back to the heart of, it's not just about me. It's not just about me getting it together in my comfort level. It's not just about us. It's about these people that are around us.